I definitely still struggle with accepting that like I can't explain every choice that I made and every reader is not going to know why I did X instead of Y. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Kaylin Josephson is a fantasy author living in the California Bay Area. She loves books, cats, books with cats, and making up other worlds to live in for a while. The Stormcrow duology is out now, so please welcome Kaylin to the show. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hi, good. We're going to talk about your journey to publication today, and we're going to start all the way back at the beginning. When did you start getting interested in writing, and how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? You know, this question comes up a lot, especially at like, you know, book launch events and stuff. And I feel like my answer is kind of boring because I'm like, I don't have a specific to give anyone when they ask this. I don't remember one day being like, oh, I have to start writing, you know, like as far back in my memory as I can, I can recall, I've been doing it to the point that my mom always likes to joke that she still has some writing that I did when I was a kid, namely a Scooby-Doo fan fiction that I supposedly wrote and illustrated when I was seven. <laughs> and she's yet to be able to produce it. <laughs> I'm not sure I want her to. Like, <laughs> I need to see it. <laughs> I know. Like, part of me wants to and part of me is like, if you find that, it's never going away. <laughs> so I haven't asked her to look for it. But I remember doing it. You know, it's always just been making up stories has been one of my favorite pastimes, whether it was just hanging out in my room and playing with my stuffed animals or actually writing short stories. It wasn't until my senior year of college, which would have been 2015, it wasn't until I read Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor that I was like, oh, I want to do that. Like I, I was just so swept away by her world and her magic and her characters that I wanted to be able to create the same feeling in readers. Mm. And I was like, all right, I'm actually, I'm going to do this for real and see what happens. <laughs> awesome. So how did you learn more about the industry? Like how it works, how to query, how to go about everything? I definitely bumbled my way through this. I was extremely unprepared. I started out doing the basic Google searches, you know, like, how do you get a book published, learning about literary agents and what that means. I did a few Writer's Digest classes. They had um, some query critique classes, and they have some just like general writing classes and stuff. And I, I leaned pretty heavily on those initially. And then I found Twitter, which is kind of sad to say now, because I think so much of that kind of <laughs> culture is, is gone yeah. from that website. But at the time, it was highly informative. It was full of contests and other writers looking for critique partners. Um, and I, I honestly just learned so much from other people who were going through the same thing. I really didn't know half as much as I should have at any <laughs> stage of the journey. <laughs> when I was querying, I didn't know enough about querying. When I was on sub, I didn't know enough about sub. And looking back, like I, I was highly unprepared for what I was doing. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty standard. <laughs> right? So when, you, when you Google like how to find agent stuff, especially now, I think there are a lot more blogs and there's more more out there. But at the time, everyone had the same steps everywhere I would look. It, it was the same basic steps about how to how to query and how to find an agent, which glazed over about 90% of the process that you, mm -hmm. you don't hear about until you're doing it. So then what happened? Can you break down your journey from then to signing your first book contract? Yeah, I had to 
do some digging in my email to get some stats for you because my memory is the worst. And also it's weirdly been like six years, which was a terrifying <laughs> thing to discover. But I started querying, my first query I sent was on April 29th, 2015. So again, that was my senior year of college, right around when I read that book. And I sent 12 queries for a book that shall never see the light of day. It was <laughs> definitely too early. It was very much a like half fan fiction thing that I'd put together and decided like, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll send this out to professional publishing people. <laughs> was not a fantastic idea. And literally two months later, I started sending queries for a second book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so remember when I said I had absolutely no idea what I was doing? This is this is the first example. I sent, oh gosh, like 30 queries for that second book. Ultimately actually got an offer from a small press on it, but decided mm -hmm. like I, I didn't feel like the book was ready and and I realized I was starting to realize I didn't know what I was doing, you know? So I was like, all right, maybe I need to take a step back and actually like <laughs> <laughs> figure out this process a little bit more. But at the time I was fielding responses for queries for both of them. I was also entering pitch contests, mm. which there were a lot more of at the time, both looking for agents and both mentorship type programs, a couple of smaller ones that don't exist anymore, and went through more of those Writer's Digest class. So I was kind of like every iron I could put in a fire, I, mm. I was shoveling it in there. And shockingly, it, it didn't go very well. Uh, neither of those books, I don't think either of them got any full requests. One of them might have gotten like maybe one. Mm. But nothing, nothing viable. I mean, look, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and this is terrible. Six months later that I sent out the third book. <laughs> <laughs> it was like All December right. 20th. <laughs> You're prolific, okay. Well, so like one of them had, the very first book had existed for a long time before I decided mm. to try this publishing thing. So that was already there. And the second one was the one that I was like, all right, now that I'm going to do this, like I'll write a book for it. And then the third one was the first time I think that I wrote anything remotely like good. <laughs> that, that was actually okay to send to agents mm -hmm. albeit probably not when I had two other books already out <laughs> in the query trenches uh, but I, hey that's that's what I did <laughs> and that one actually got a fair number of requests mm -hmm. nothing that uh panned out nothing that actually worked out but enough that I was like oh, okay maybe maybe I actually know what I'm doing now and I definitely had more of the process in terms of like researching agents and writing queries and all of that down by that point. And the writing, the writing was getting there <laughs> slowly but surely. So those, those three books were all ones that didn't make it past querying. And it wasn't until the fourth one, which later became my debut, that I actually did sign with an agent. Uh, and <laughs> that one at least was, I can say, a decent book. <laughs> <laughs> that was in, let's see, that was in November of 2016. So about a year and a half, a little bit more of querying, three of which, like I said, should, should probably shouldn't have really been out there. The third one, maybe. And now compared to today's world, probably a year and a half is not considered that long. Mm -hmm. um, I think right now query times are looking much longer with just how overwhelmed everyone is. But at the time, it felt like forever. <laughs> 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 Ultimately, what ended up happening is I got a R and R a request and resubmit or revise and resubmit. As I was working on that R and R for the agent who had requested it on this fourth book, I got an offer from another agent on the original version. Mm. So then I I pretty much already finished the R and R, so I went ahead and did the last few edits and sent it to that agent and said, and also by the way, I have an offer of rep. They got back to me not much later, having read the revised version and also offered rep. Uh, so it was a little bit of a weird situation where I wasn't just choosing 
between two agents, but I was choosing between two versions of the book, mm-hmm. which is ultimately what what helped me make my decision because I mm. thought both of them were awesome and I couldn't go wrong either way. But I liked the revised version of the book so much better. Okay. And had had that revision experience with that agent and, and found it great that that's ultimately what led me to go with my current agent, Carrie Pestrito, which I did agonize over that for, <laughs> God, I think I, I think I had like two weeks to think about it and I just bounced back and forth for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that is how I went uh, from querying to ending up with an agent. I think stats wise for the fourth book, I sent 55 queries. I got nine full requests, five partial requests and the R and R. So yeah, I guess the, 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 that'd be the stats that in a, four books across <laughs> yeah. a little over a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of books. <laughs> Too many books. <laughs> did you revise with your agent before going out on submission again? Yes, we did. Um, we did two more rounds of revision mm. and then like a light line edit before we went on submission. And that was, let's see, so we signed in March and we went on sub in August, I believe it was. So it was a, it was a quick revision process. Um, at the time, she was also a newer agent. So I was like one of very few clients. Mm. And so also she had a lot, a lot more time to focus, you know, on edits and whatnot. And so even though we did two full rounds in a short time, like they were pretty in- intensive rounds. Mm-hmm. And then you went on submission and how long did it take before it sold? Um, we went on sub in August and got an offer from Sourcebooks who ultimately published it in late November. So about oh, four okay. months. But as I said before, being ultimately unprepared at every stage, I had <laughs> no idea what submission was when I went on sub. So like, I didn't know exactly what was happening. I didn't know whether four months was good or bad or like how likely you are to get an offer once you're on submission, how likely you're not. So like looking back, like, I'm like, Oh wow, that was awesome. But at the time I really didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Okay. It's time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your query letter for us? One note is that originally the book was called the crow queen. So, and also the main character's name was not Thea. It was Anna which we had to change because of Frozen. (laughs) (laughs) Dear Agent, The Crow Queen is a YA fantasy novel complete at 87,000 words that will appeal to fans of the magic and strong female friendships in Susan Dennard's Truthwitch. 17-year-old Princess Anna Seralte's dreams of becoming a crow rider were shattered when the Aleutian Empire attacked her kingdom, destroying the writer's massive crows and killing Anna's mother. A year later, Anna's depression from the loss of her mother and the future she trained for her entire life consumes her. When Alusha gathers their strength for a final assault on Anna's now vulnerable kingdom, her sister agrees to engage Anna to the cruel Alusha prince in exchange for peace. Believing Alusha plans to forcibly place Anna on the, and the prince on her kingdom's throne once the marriage is official, Anna searches desperately for an alternative. When she finds a crow egg in the ruins of the rookery, she rushes to hatch it, knowing the powerful elemental magic of even one crow could level the playing field between the kingdoms. But the secret of hatching may have died with the crows. As Anna hunts down the last known crow rider in hopes of learning the egg's secrets, she discovers the prince is having her followed, and may already know about the egg. To stop her engagement, Anna must let go of her past and depression and hatch the egg before the kingdom falls and she loses everything to Alusha again. It's funny reading that now because of how much has changed. Like that entire last paragraph (laughs) is no longer accurate, even a little bit. All right. (laughs) How has your experience been since signing that first book contract? Especially let us know what about the publishing process kind of surprised you along the way? <laughs> you mean besides all of it? All of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I actually think that if agents had like a, a publishing 101, just like a little quick cheat sheet doc to send new clients, like, hey, just in case, you know, 
you're like Kaylin, I don't know anything. <laughs> Here's a quick rundown. It, it would have saved me some embarrassment, <laughs> but I also probably could have done a bit more research myself. But my, my agent's amazing. I have had a really great experience and I'm really happy with the decision that I made. I have been lucky enough to sell several more books since um, The Stormcrow came out and have had pretty smooth submission processes like even the one that took a lot longer was like fairly painless as painless i guess a sub could be <laughs> but i've still been pretty surprised by just how many steps there are mm -hmm. to getting a yes in publishing mm -hmm. like I, a yes isn't a final thing a yes is a acceptance to the next stage in the process and there's a stage after that and there's a stage after that and every house does things a little bit differently. So mm -hmm. having now signed with three separate publishers in, in my career, seeing the submission process and the publishing process after signing and, and before signing, there's just so many hurdles. And, and every time it just makes me like more astounded that any of us ever get books published. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you really need the stars to align. Honestly, I think one of the things that surprises me most is just that I have the opportunity to do this because of that. Like knowing what has to happen in order to get to where I am. Yeah, mostly I'm just shocked that I'm here. <laughs> yeah, even yeah. within publishers and different imprints, the process is sometimes mm -hmm. different, yeah. which is so weird. Yeah, and oh it's so, you know, not opaque. I mean, it is a little bit opaque, especially as the author. I mean, I'm sure as an agent, you probably have more insight into that minutia of the steps that go on on the other side. But I think from the author side, sometimes it feels a little bit mysterious. And like you, you jump from one goalpost to another suddenly, and, and there were 15 emails in between that. But on, in your perspective, it's just been, you know, silence. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Plotter, recently reformed. <laughs> Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Definitely overwriter. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at nighttime? Prefer the morning, usually end up at night because of work. When starting a new project, do you typically start with a character, plot, or concept, or something else first? Concept, usually the magic concept. Mm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Definitely tea. Do you prefer silence or some kind of sound when you're writing? Silence. When it comes to the first draft, are you a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Get it right. <laughs> Definitely to my detriment. <laughs> what tools or software do you use to draft? Uh, just Word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential order. <laughs> and final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Uh, introvert who's really good at pretending to be an extrovert. <laughs> now we're going to talk about the second cue of the podcast. What were some of the qualms or worries you had on your journey? And do you feel like they were realized or you overcame them or how did they shake out? I think to a degree, I was just so out of the loop that I didn't even need, to, I didn't know what I needed to worry about during my querying process because I was just so uninformed. It was actually kind of nice in that sense, you know, like I, I didn't understand exactly, you know, how big the mistakes I were making were and what impact they could have. And to that degree, it, it, when I reached book four, I, I did finally start to realize like, hey, maybe you shouldn't query the same agent with four different books. They might <laughs> notice. And, but you know, by that point I, I'd learned a lot more about the process. Um, and I definitely had, you know, the thing pretty common, just like, what if none of these books are ever going to be good enough mm -hmm. feeling, 
you know, by that point, having been on my fourth book, a large part of that, looking back now, I recognize was because I wasn't ready to query at least the first two. But at the time, felt very much like, how many of these am I going to have to do? Thankfully, the answer was not more than four. But since then, I think one of the, the biggest kind of qualms or worries that's stuck with me as an author and that I several books in still think about a lot is just once the book is out of my hands and it's in readers' hands and just letting go and accepting that not everyone's going to like it. Mm-hmm. And just because you did something on purpose doesn't mean people are, are you know, enjoy it or, or <laughs> like it. And so um, I definitely still struggle with accepting that, like, I can't explain every choice that I made and every reader is not going to know why I did X instead of Y. And there are ultimately going to be things that could have been better in the book, but just either I didn't notice at the time during revisions or got lost through multiple drafts, whatever it is, it's it's out there. It's over. It's done. There There is no more chance to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I just have to accept that. Yeah. Now it's time for the third cue of the podcast. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? My, like the overall answer to this is that my writing process is very boring. Like (laughs) I don't listen to music. I have no writing snacks. I have no ritual or preamble or anything that goes into writing, Um, which partially I think might be because I've just always, my process has been sneaking writing time in where I can, whether it's before I leave for work, if it's at lunch or if it's after work when I get home. And if I had to do all that setup, I think I would get caught up in the setup, which is part of the reason I've never tried Scrivener. I I think I would just get too into organizing things and like (laughs) creating all these different flows and never actually write. One thing that I can think of with like my actual writing process that I've recently actually only really become fully aware of is that once I've written something in a certain way, it's almost impossible for my brain to think of alternatives anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's part of why like I have to get things right the first time, because Mm -hmm. once I have it set down, that feels to me like the only answer. And I really need someone to go like, Hey, this isn't working. Have you considered X? And the moment they give me an alternative, even if I don't use it, it just removes that mental block in my brain and I can start generating new ideas. Um, but up until that point, like I can, I can only see down my tunnel that has been built. <laughs> hmm, interesting. It's funny. The first thing that you're talking about, I had a conversation with Jonathan Mayberry and he said something very similar. Like he's intentionally not created a ritual around his writing so that he can just write anywhere. He writes on airplanes, which is just mind boggling to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's impressive. That's why he publishes so much. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? I see there's there's two parts to this. One is that it honestly never occurred to me that I could stop. Writing is something that I was and s- still am very compelled to do. And I know that I, c- I couldn't just not do it. Like that to some degrees has become a bit of an anxiety management technique for me, having the, the consistency of the writing in my life. But... I also had set this goal and this idea for myself and I am absolutely horrible at not completing tasks. (laughs) Like there's nothing more satisfying to me than checking off a list of things that I need to do and just like doing each one and and saying it's complete. And so the idea that I just like wouldn't complete this task (laughs) didn't, didn't even occur, which again, I think is largely because I did not understand 
what I was doing. I mm-hmm. didn't realize the odds. I didn't realize the steps and the gates ahead of me. <laughs> I really, I really stick with saying it. I bumbled my way through getting an agent. <laughs> um, and I lucked out that Carrie's so amazing. <laughs> but really, you know, past that querying process, I, I would actually say I've had much lower points since getting an agent than before mm-hmm. because of that. And honestly, the answer is just my writing group and my writing friends. Like, without them, the emotional toll would have been too much at multiple times. It's it's having somebody who knows and understands what you're talking about and what you're going through and just being able to go to them and be like, can I scream for a second? And having them scream with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You talked about some of them, but if you have any more or you want to elaborate, what are some of the biggest mistakes you feel like you made along the way? Yeah, definitely the querying multi-manuscripts, definitely querying before I was ready, not knowing enough about what I was getting myself into. One thing, this is this is post-querying, but one thing that I've noticed is that I've multiple times shared too much information about an unreleased and unedited book and then changed things later. But mm-hmm. readers remember when mm-hmm. I said I was going to do this thing and they're like, hey, that thing's not there or whatever. And so even now, something that I, I, you know, I'm still learning parts of this process and one of them that I have recently been trying to remember is like, only share things that you're sure aren't going to change. <laughs> that one actually came up a couple days ago. So that's why it's fresh in my mind. <laughs> nice. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? I cannot emphasize enough the subjectivity of this industry. Agents and editors are readers. And just like any reader, they may or may not enjoy one book that somebody else would like and vice versa. And the same is true for acquiring them. And I think both my querying and my other submission journeys are good examples of that. Having one agent offer on the revised version and another agent offer on the unrevised version, like that already is like, those were pretty drastically different books in terms of pacing and and plot. And the other agent's like, you know, honestly, I don't think you need to fix those things. So pretty drastic difference in terms of what they offered on. And then in my submission journeys, so I have both a YA series coming out and a middle grade series that I'm in the midst of. My young adult editor read and rejected my middle grade book. And my middle grade reader, or my middle grade editor read and rejected my YA book. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. So it's very, very subjective. These are people who clearly liked my other work, but this didn't feel the same connection to the other book. Mm -hmm. But obviously, both worked out with both of them for the the series that I am working with them on. But I always think that's a really, really great example of like, no, even an editor who you work really well with might not always click with every single book. And that's just par for the course of the subjectivity of the industry. It's fascinating too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I would say I actually do have another piece of advice because I think it, it particularly applies with a lot of what I've been talking about, which is that no writing you do is ever wasted. Mm-hmm. And whether that means you're just getting better with each book that you write, you know, like four of them in a row in two years, or whether that means something you write might be useful again. So that second book that I queried did eventually become my middle grade book that's now out called Ravenfall. Mm. So that book that I thought like, oh, it was just part of my my querying journey and I put it aside. I revisited after the Stormcrow came out and was like, okay, the idea here actually is good. I just wrote a middle grade book as a YA and had a really horrible romance in it. And if I take that out, <laughs> it might actually be good for middle grade. And obviously that did ultimately sell. So like, not only did that book teach me a lot about writing and make me a better writer, it also was able to be given new life in the future. Mm-hmm. 
This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how? I mentioned earlier, definitely my writing group. Our name is, the, we call ourselves the Guillotine Queens. Um, and <laughs> <Okay>. I, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, it's our, our, our tag is it's all in the execution. <laughs> which, which honestly, I like, is it. something that, right? It's something we remind each other of a lot too, because you know, so often you will be working on an idea and then you'll see something on Twitter about someone working on something that sounds very similar mm-hmm. or a book comes out that gets announced and you're like, that's exactly my idea. Yeah. But because two people can tell the same story so dramatically differently, it, it's important to remember that it's all in the execution and it, it matters how you do it. And that is just one piece of wisdom that they have given me across the last, I was just realizing this today, five years that we've been a writing group. I met them shortly after Storm Crow sold in 2017, it would not have been possible. None of this process would have been possible for me without them. They're honestly amazing. And the same can be said for some of the people that I've debuted with and writers I've met in other mentorship contests, just people who are in the same stage as you, you know, Mm -hmm. so they know exactly what you're going through. But honestly, I, I can't imagine having done this without all those people in my corner. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before you go, since we heard a little bit about your YA series, do you want to tell us about your middle grade series? Yes. Uh, so Ravenfall, which released in, oh gosh, what is time? September of last year, 2022, is a spooky middle grade fantasy series that's like supernatural meets Encanto. It's about a family of psychics who live at a sentient inn at the crossroads of the human world and the other world mm. and the boy who comes to them for help solving a magical family mystery. So it's got like a very heavy autumn aesthetic, lots of supernatural references, and it deals a lot with uh, Irish mythology. Mm. And the sequel for that called Hollowthorn releases in October that in comparison, I'm calling Supernatural meets Indiana Jones and it's, it's very wintry and it's all about Jewish mythology. All right, cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Kaylin's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash Nicholas. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.